so delighted to interview Kate Bear today. I'm a longtime admirer of Kate for many reasons, but mainly because I find she speaks the truth about motherhood and marriage through her poetry and writing. Kate is a New York Times bestselling author. Her first book dealt with the pleasures and burdens of motherhood. Her second book was based on texts, including social media hate mail. She rearranged the words to create new poems and new meanings. Her latest book, And Yet, is due out this year. So something to keep in mind at the beginning of this interview is that I got way too excited about interviewing Kate and I forgot to hit record in the first part. So you'll hear Kate talking, answering a question that you can't hear. And the question I asked her is, how did you get into your writing career? I mean, I don't know what it's like there, but to major in English in America is basically to major in nothing. So, you know, after I graduated, I just, I got a bunch of kind of random jobs because I didn't really have a useful degree. Right. And, um, you know, I, I was always writing during that time, but I wasn't, you know, getting paid. In fact, what kind of woman was the first time that I was paid to write? The rest of the time I was always doing side hustles or, or full-time work before I had children um, in, in order to, to do writing in my free time. So yeah, um, before I started writing poetry, you know, full-time and, and in books, I was doing other kinds of writing nonfiction. I wrote, I wrote a novel, an unpublished novel um, and short stories. And yeah, I, I kind of dabbled in everything. Yeah, um, but poetry is where I I really started to lean in and and find my groove. And and immediately you were writing. So when you were started writing poetry, you were obviously already a mother. Um, is that that's yes, yeah. yes. I've been a mother for ten years. So yeah, when what kind of woman came out, I um I had four children. So yeah, I was deep into into it. I mean, I still obviously still am, but I I yes had children. Yeah. And was this a, I assume this was kind of like an outlet for you. This was a sort of, you know, spurning of all the thoughts um, that we all feel but don't really get to say. Would that be accurate? Yeah. I, I, you know, I kind of avoided writing. I I took a big break from writing on motherhood because I was tired of being called a mommy writer. I I wanted to be Mm -hmm. taken seriously. And and then I, I realized, you know, that, I was just internalizing that misogyny by, you know, by not writing about motherhood by all, I was, I was basically make, making a statement that it was less than when that's, I didn't even feel that way. And so when I started cheating on my novel with poetry, you know, I started, I, I just came back to motherhood so quickly and my fourth baby was a surprise an unwanted pregnancy, yeah. not an unwanted child, but an unwanted pregnancy. And it, it was such a difficult time and I was still very much in recovery mode from that. And so sitting down to write the book was definitely a cathartic experience. It felt like everything I'd ever felt as a woman and as a mother kind of just coming out, which sounds so cliche because it's not like writing is some magical process where you sit there and butterflies fly around you and you just write eloquent sentences. That That's not what I mean, but I, I did feel like, oh, this is what I've meant to write all along. And what about, what were some of the things you were feeling like around having, I can completely empathize with that unwanted pregnancy. Like how did you decide 
I'm going to have the baby and how did you kind of grapple with that yourself, like that kind of tiredness you must have felt even receiving the pregnancy test, you know? Yeah, you know, two kids felt doable, hard but doable, but I I just was so nostalgic for babies yeah. and wanting, just loving it, even though it was so difficult, loving it so much and so we decided after a lot of talking and, you know, processing and discussing, we're going to have this third baby. And when I had my third, it really pushed us over a cliff. Yeah. And I constantly felt like I was just trying to bob above the water and, and keep everyone's needs met and keep my own needs met and try to have a career in my husband's career and, and try to keep kind of keep our sanity. And then we scheduled the vasectomy and, um, when I found out I was pregnant, it felt like I'm in the water and then someone just handed me a bag of bricks. Yeah. And I just really sunk down into depression. I felt like I couldn't really even function. Um, the pregnancy was miserable. Having him was a relief, but it was still so hard. And I, I had to do a lot of work at just figuring out what I needed to be able to be a mama for to be able to be a person again. Yeah. It was difficult. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like, okay, well now I'm going to get more childcare and that will fix things. I mean, that was basically the answer, but it took so much to get there. Like going yeah. to the doctor and being like, I think I have a brain tumor and yeah. then running all these tests and being like, I think you're just tired. You know, it, it, it did take a lot to kind of figure out how to get out of that fog. Uh, but once I did, it was it was such a relief. Oh, oh, I completely empathize. I had a similar experience after my third where I had to go to a doctor and um, I had hives for 10, 10 weeks, like chronic Oh, my hives. gosh. And um, it was the same thing where you go in and they're like, oh, no, you're just completely exhausted. And you're like, right. oh, all right, I'm not dying of cancer. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> that's right we're just doing a lot and no one ever tells you that you're doing a lot and that you should just sit right. down you know <laughs> just yeah, yeah like have a glass of water um yeah so why do you think these books or the the first particular book you know you've talked about how it struck such a nerve with with women in the pandemic why do you think that was well the pandemic really at least here brought to light so many of the cracks in the system and one of those system in many systems. And one of those systems I think is childcare and, and motherhood and how women carry so much. And we have a huge childcare crisis here. And I think it was just, you know, we just felt a lot. We felt, we still, I think women, women are still feeling that um, even though schools aren't shutting down as much anymore, it's, Still, there's still a huge childcare crisis here, and um, I don't know about you, but for me, having all my kids at home when they should have been in school while trying to write a book was not ideal, and uh, it was just it was a very difficult time. Now, when I wrote What Kind of Woman, it was pre-pandemic. I wrote my second book during the pandemic, which was it, it felt often impossible. Oh my God. I can't even, yeah, I can't even imagine that. And what kind of like, you know, my behavior in that situation is less than ideal when I'm in a house trying to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we don't, you know, I, I just feel like I'm just, you know, about to turn 43 and I'm feeling much more free with what I can say, you know, about mm -hmm. parenting. And I think that's an interesting observation in itself. Like, are you feeling 
you know, you would have copped some shit, I imagine, for speaking the truth over the time. Like how, how, how is the reaction to what you write? Like are you feeling supported? Are you feeling isolated? Like what, what do you feel about um, what you've put out there? Yeah, I feel, I mean, most, most of the time I just feel a lot of support. I get a lot of, yes, that's happening to me too. There are times when I've, I've gotten some pushback, usually from men, mm. um, in, in response to, to what I'm talking about, which I think just speaks to just the huge divide of understanding when it comes to what it's like to be a woman, what it's like to, to have children, and, and just the major differences between the sexes when it comes to those things. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. It's so multi-causal. There, there's so many reasons a person reaches out to someone else on the internet. One, one of those reasons is just the veil of, of being anonymous yeah. and being able to do that. There, you know, most of the time, an unkind message would never be said in person. So there, it's partially that. Just, just the way we communicate now can give you that, can, can help you be anonymous. And and then of course, there's just so much misogyny behind a lot of those messages and it's just so many different things yeah how do you protect yourself like how do you stay sane or not get overly sensitive or I mean that's not the right term but I'm I suppose I'm imagining myself and how you know some of those messages would be so hurtful how do you protect yourself for me it just kind of shutting down those platforms not like deleting them just being off of them and surrounding myself with real people who know the real me, who can have real conversations face to face. That that to me is so healing and and always brings me back to the reality that like so much of that those those comments or those messages don't matter, which is is always is great. Yeah, that's so true. You have talked about um, you know, your your work resonates because women feel seen. Like why, obviously this is a massive topic, but why Why are women often not seen? Is it purely because of the patriarchy? Is it, well, A, not, well, I suppose like we've allowed this to happen in a lot of ways or we've just not known better. What do you, what do yeah, you? I think it's what, some of it is like how we grow up, right? And what we see our mothers do or say, or, or more, maybe more importantly, not do or say. Yeah. I think that's part of it. Um, there's also this expectation on women to be a certain way and and speak a certain way in emails or talk a certain way in a meeting or be a certain way at preschool pickup you know there there is also this societal expectation and i think people are just sick of it <laughs> women are sick of it and i think women have been sick of it with each generation and and each generation makes these little changes and, and so now we're doing that and I have no doubt that my daughter, when she's my age, is going to look at me and be like, listen, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do these things, so many of these things that you did, um, yeah. because she will be progressing us a little bit further. And, and you know, I, I hope that I can be as receptive as I can to that. I'm yeah. Sure it's not easy. No, I, yeah, I agree with that. I, I have a funny thing where I have like a, I think I have some repressed rage around <laughs> things I wasn't able to do when I was younger things that I would have liked to pursue like for me personally it was more um, male gendered things like skateboarding or you know fighting or things like that and only now that I'm 
I'm really revisiting that and I started in my late 30s. Do you have any kind of repressed rage around anything like that, feeling ripped off or are you sort of channeling that's how you're sort of healing in your in your work that you do? First of all, I love that. I love the skating and the fighting. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm just picturing you just like beating the shit out of someone. Um, I, <laughs> you know, something that's recently happened to in, in my own personal life and, and relationship is having more of an understanding and control and discussion of money yeah, and, and just being like, well, wait a second. As much as I want to believe this is forever, we don't know what's coming. We never know. And I, I need to, it's just, it's just responsible. And I think so many women, if they see, if their mom was never involved in the money, so easy to be kind of lazy about that. And I'm not judging anyone for doing that. But for me, I, I've started to ask a lot more questions, get access to everything, make sure that I, I'm, you know, okay, set up, okay, okay, have my own retirement things, have my own things figured out, and just have more of a voice in that, even though my husband would have never said, you don't have a voice in this. It's more like, well, I'll just let you figure that out. And so for me, that's something, you know, everyone's different in that way, I realize, but I was always kind of, I kind of felt like I wasn't good at math and I wasn't good at that kind of thing when really I would have probably been fine. I just maybe needed some more encouragement. Um, Anyway, so that that's the first thing that comes to mind. I'm sure there are more. That's really interesting, actually, because over here there's been a boom of um, women led kind of we have superannuation where uh, part of your pay every week goes into a super fund. And then when you retire, you get all that money back. And that's stopping the government from having to pay a pension or something like that. So a lot of super funds are run by women for women. And it's a huge push in Australia to teach women how to impact invest and financially be okay. So it's an interesting thing that you said that because I definitely feel that wave is turning um, over here too. Yeah, that's Um, amazing. Yeah, it's good. Um, It's interesting you said just something before, and I really wanted to touch on marriage because it just fascinates me, Um, and long-term relationships. I assume you've been um, in a long-term relationship for a while. How long have you been with your husband for? I don't know. I think like 12 years. (laughs) Together, probably more for like 15. Marriage is so fascinating. I I, ever. And, you know, at first I kind of thought it was boring. Like, why do people talk about this all the time? You know, in the earlier years, like, yeah, we're together, like, whatever. It's, But now, <laughs> just the nuances of it and, and the incredible toll it takes on a person and, and how people stay together is so interesting to me. Oh. Just all the different parts of it. Not only the, the physical side to have sex with one person for the rest of your life. That That's its own huge, interesting thing, right? Yeah. And also the relationship of it and, and how much a person can change over a decade is so interesting to me. Wild. It's absolutely wild. Like recently, and I wanted to talk to you about this because I thought you would enjoy it. Um, I went to my husband with my wedding ring. And I said, I want to sell my wedding ring. How do you feel about that? <laughs> and he said, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, well, you don't have to ask me. And I said, I just don't feel like the person that I was when I accepted this ring. You know, yeah. anyway, I never wear it anymore because I feel it's a sham. Like 
um, we have a great relationship today, you know, but um, yeah. we've been through some fires together because when you've been with someone like we've married 17 years this year, I mean, it's yeah. exactly what you said, that kind of there's so much growth. I was 25, you know, and now yeah. I'm 43 yeah. and it's insane. It is insane. And that's so, that is crazy that you say that because I just took off my ring, my engagement ring. Uh, it was my great grandmother's. I did love it, but I took it off this fall because I felt like it felt strange to wear. I couldn't even explain it any other way. I just, I was like, I can't wear this anymore. I'm not her anymore. I feel like, I feel like I'm impersonating like a 26 year old bride. I don't yes. need to wear this anymore. It feels weird. I can, and I, can, I yeah. yeah. It's just interesting that you say that. I did the same thing. I feel we we might start a movement here, Kate. <laughs> yeah. Picking off. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I'm such a massive fan of Esther Perel. Like sometimes I just, I don't Oh, my gosh. I know. She is, she's a marriage saver. She. Yeah, she is. She's a. I, and just her, re, her realism about it, you know, like why didn't we all get a, a worksheet from Esther Perel when we got married? You know, like. Where's the, know. you know, I was talking like, you know, if you were Catholic or whatever, and I, we, we're not any of it, so we just had like a celebrant. But, you know, you get the priest, which is so ironic because they've never been married. And then they tell you how hard marriage is and are you ready? It's just ludicrous. It is. Yeah. It's ludicrous. And, it, and, and you're such a baby when yes. you're 25. I was 25 too. Like just an infant. I barely... <laughs> It wasn't that long ago I learned to drive, you know? It's like, and now I'm going to pick who I'm going to be with and, and have children with. I mean, and and men are, I don't know. It, in some ways, it doesn't really matter who you pick. In some ways, it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no matter what, it's going to be kind of ridiculous and, and hard. And they're all kind of the same, you know. Obviously, there's tons of nuance in that. But still, you're just such a baby such a baby I remember we were laughing one day with some friends my husband and I and they were saying you know like imagine if you started again with someone else and we all particularly the men in the room sighed at how they go yeah but like after 10 years it's just gonna be the same thing it really is really is and then I remember going to a counselor once and um he just said I, I remember him looking at us and going I just want you to know that in 10 years time people are just back in here with the same shit with a different <laughs> yes. person and I was just exactly yeah it's like just work it out if you can if you're lucky enough just make it work because otherwise it's not like right. it's um like I don't think the grass is greener I just think the whole no. institution is kind of ridiculous but but yeah yeah I don't know <laughs> oh that was really good. I'm imagining everyone <laughs> taking their rings off. Um, <laughs> let, let's talk about um, women's bodies because I know I know that's sort of a topic, you know, well, it's a topic for every woman. But what, like, do you feel the messaging around this is changing or do you think we're still as repressed as ever or is there an, a consciousness rising? I like to think there is, but I also live in a very optimistic bubble. Um, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. I do I do think it's changing. I but it's it's hard 
it's hard to gauge that because how am I, <laughs> how am I measuring that in my liberal bubble? Yes, it's changing. Is yeah. it changing for my daughter at school? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I want, I want to believe, I want to believe it's better. I'm not necessarily an optimist or, or a pessimist, but I will, I do think we're making progress. I mean, to consider a different reality is bleak. You know, Emily yeah. Dickinson wrote hope is a thing with feathers. It's, it's just, I think we have to live in the hope that it is getting better to keep working on this. Otherwise it just feels pointless. I know. And I, and I think as a parent and as a mother and as a female, like how do you, how, you know, it's just a constant challenge to model the right way to be. Like I feel yeah. that pressure. Like I read this really awesome um, quote, which really resonated with me a lot. And then I was surprised by how obvious it seemed. And it was like, it was from the good enough parent, um, a book called the good enough parent. And it, the quote was, um, every child should have a sign in their bedroom that says, I love you, but I'll give you issues. And I just yeah. felt so relieved when I saw that and realized how much I try to be um, the best I can be. Yeah. You know? And then <laughs> fail miserably because it's like, oh, then I get yelly or, you know, resentful because yeah. I'm bottling stuff up. But like, how, how do we. How do we model that good body image, you know? I think what it boils down to, kids don't really, for better or worse, they don't really listen to what we say. They're really just watching what we do yeah. and how we behave. And so if we're, you know, for me to sit down with my daughter and say, this is, you know, this is how we should feel about our body. This is how I want you to think about your body. That's that's going to have such a, a minor if if not zero <laughs> impact. But if I, if I am, if I am speaking about my own body in front of her to my friends in a positive way, or if she's watching me walk away from conversations where people are talking badly about their body, or if I try on a pair of jeans in front of her and they don't fit and I just take them off instead of say, Oh gosh, I'm so fatter. You know, if those things are the, that's what's making the impact. Yeah. How I'm talking and how I'm behaving about my body in front of her, that's what it, this all is. It doesn't, we can give as many speeches as we want to. Our kids don't listen to any of that. No, that's so true. Um, my, I have a youngest boy who's really, um, he, he really focuses on my body. It's interesting. <laughs> and, um, but he'll say things like, mom's got, you know, mom, you've got a tummy or you've got this or that. And the girls watch me, my reactions so closely. I mean, I've really oh, yeah. obviously read a ton about it so I'm always like yeah because I had three kids how awesome is that or you know <laughs> like you know try and just like never <laughs> but also inside burning with wanting to kind of pinch him a little bit like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> like shush but um <laughs> maybe Bluey should do an episode about that isn't Bluey yes. from Australia yeah how good is Bluey? Is, is, is everyone in Australia as crazy about Bluey as we are in America? Because Americans are obsessed with Bluey. Oh, that's and, so cool. And we I get, we have all the stuff in the stores, the toys. Of, we have we have many stuffed Blueys in this in my house. You know, 
we yeah. just it's our favorite show and even my husband he'll sit there and watch that <laughs> with the kids and he'll have tears in his eyes i don't know you oh. guys just really have children's programming down pat it's the same here it's like the best show and it's so real and so perfect and yeah it's no it's exactly the same my kids love it oh good yeah <laughs> <laughs> um Let's talk a little bit about what makes you mad. Like, what are you mad about right now? And then also what gives you joy? Right now I'm mad about the weather. We're <laughs> in such a cold spot here. Yeah. Um, yeah. What makes me mad? The things that still make me mad are things like when my husband takes the kids to the park and people will say to him, oh, God, you're such, such a good dad. Look at oh. him. I take my kids to the park and I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, why is it such, why are we praising him for taking the kids to the park? They're his kids. Uh Um, That kind of stuff still makes me mad. Uh, You know, Yeah. what else makes me mad? I don't know. I I hear, I hear people complain about like their mental loads and their emotional loads. And I'm not mad at women when they complain about that. What I'm mad at is that they're still having to do that that their co-parents aren't seeing or, or hearing that and, and taking proactive steps to make things more equal. That makes me mad. Not that my, my partnership is perfect, but I, I see, I, it's so hard to hear these conversations sometimes of like, I have to figure out all these dentist appointments and doctor's appointments and kids schedules. And I'm like, you have somebody else Yeah. in the, in the instances where, where there is somebody else, you have somebody else. You could, it doesn't have to be like this. Yeah, that makes me mad. Um, I'm just, what, why I'm stuck? Like, why? Why is this still? I mean, I'm I'm the same. I my partner. We've always been very even keeled. I've had a lot of good jobs in the past. So he's, you know, my career took off at one stage, and his was down. So he looked after the kids. You know, it's always been a bit of a roundabout of that stuff with us. So he used to mention to me how annoying it was that people would say, "Oh, you've got the baby." Like he was the one that. Brought that to yeah. me. He was like, it's so patronizing. Like, as if like I don't look after my kids properly, you know? Like, I don't need to hear that. And so, which yeah. I thought was funny, he had the rage about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of people are stuck in those relationships too, right? They're from I think, the, yeah. yeah, and the communication. It's so hard. It, it it's so hard to communicate what's actually bothering you. This happens to me all the time. I'll explode at my husband about something that doesn't really matter. Yeah. But really my rage is coming, coming from somewhere so much deeper. Mm-hmm. And and usually it's a feeling of inequality and, 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 and just wanting help. And I think it's hard. It's hard for women to ask for help. It's, it's hard to say the thing that that's what it is. It's just, it's hard to get there to the actual core, the real heart of it. Because often it comes across as, well, you just didn't do this, this, and this, which then just comes across as nagging. Yeah. Like you said, we all just need Esther Perel, a a few (laughs) worksheets on how to communicate because we're so bad. Humans are so bad at communication. There's some book, Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know. I don't even really read his books, but he he has this um, research that says that like 75% of communication is miscommunication and I mean, if that's not proven in marriage, that's the perfect oh place to find two people trying to talk to each other and nobody's hearing anything. Oh, that is such a good, yeah, that, that's incredible. I mean, once you realize too that 
no, you know, I think I've sort of mentioned this in my notes, like no, no one's needs are really being met, you know, when yeah. you're parenting. Like even just this morning I had a really in, beautiful but quite intense DM session with a friend of mine overseas and she's, you know, knee deep, under two, under three. And I just, you remember that, like, I mean, I just can't even, and and I feel like I'm some wise sage and I'm not at all, but I felt like I was so far away from that, but I I felt her drowning so acutely through the DMs and she was just saying, I just don't even know who I am. I don't think I'll ever get my career back. And I'm like, you are in the trenches. I just want to tell you, like, when you look at it logically, you couldn't be more down, two sets of nappies, you know, all that stuff. Like it was just... It was so intense and I felt, and she said, I feel so alone in this, like my partner doesn't yeah. understand. And I was like, it's so Because many- it's so physical. It's yeah. so physical when you are caring for children that young. And it just, when your physical body is drained like that, it's so hard to, I don't know, even have a complete thought. It's like your mind is gone, your body is gone. What yeah. is left? Yeah. And and it's a simple thing too. I said, you know, I was saying to her like, you know, maybe even go and get your bloods done because you could be so out of whack that you can't even, yeah. like you might just need some magnesium as well, you know. I mean, this is just yeah, from yeah. lived experience of just like she goes, oh, my God, you're right. I haven't even had a glass of water today. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. This is where it starts, oh, you know, the inflammation. Yeah. And the, but, it, I mean, not that, you know, it's funny because I feel like I need to preface this almost and say, you know, I love being a mum, but what I find so interesting about it is the fact that I can't hang out with them all the time. And that sometimes yeah. makes me feel like a failure. And I'm really bad at playing. Like, I don't, I like them to go in the bush and play by themselves or be independent mm-hmm. players. Like, I don't, no, you know. No, no, most people don't want to play with their kids or don't enjoy it. And I really think that most people don't want to be with their kids all the time. Biologically, or historically, we didn't have mothers didn't have their kids all the time. Villages had the kids all the time. Communities yeah. had the kids all the time. It's not natural for no. one person to have to spend all this time with children. It's awful. I, I I think that there are exceptions to this, but I think most people do not want to spend all of their time with their children. It's it's no. mind numbing. It is. It doesn't matter how. Of course. Most people love their children very much. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not natural. And, and the, and the isolation of the pandemic has just exacerbated this so much more. Ah, and it's an interesting thing, the play, the playing, because um, in the last week I felt quite playful. I really tried to make an effort and I got in, we just got a pool. We're lucky enough to get a pool and we hopped in and I played for an hour. And then I said, I'm leaving now. And I ran out the gate and my youngest son cried so much that I had stopped playing that I realized how much I hadn't played. It was a real awakening. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't played in a long time. You know, yeah. I don't don't take on the guilt of that anymore, being older, but it's a definite awareness where I was like, holy shit, I've got to put some more play time in. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) it's exhausting. It's exhausting to play because it's just, it requires something in your brain that's uh, not not flexed very often. Yeah, and also it requires you to be super joyful and I tend to get my joy from other sources a lot you know like yeah I love 
you know what I mean? When they're so little, they sort of take so much. But um, and so then you've got to go fill your cup with your friends, or you know, a date night, or whatever your thing is, or mine's exercise, or the beach, or whatever. So I just, yeah, I just found that a very interesting observation. How do you, yeah, yeah, you know, is that okay not to play? Right. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Are they going to be on the couch about this at thirty, saying my mum never played with me? <laughs> they might it's so hard to know because no matter what you're doing it's going to be something so uh you lean in you lean into play and then you're forgetting to give them their vegetables it's it's just you can't do it out at all we're just doing the best we can that's so true what what are you doing different do you think than your than your parents or what are you doing better like what are you kind of like fist pumping about you're like yep yeah, i'm nailing this I think just thinking more critically about parenting and and how we speak to children and what we expect of them just by a lot, like natural like what what's age appropriate for them right now you know it's I feel like in the you know 80s it, it was like we have to fix like your baby's born and then they're basically a problem to be solved. Like now we have to make sure they stop doing, stop tantruming and they stop talking back. Well, when, when really tantruming is a very natural part of a two-year-old's brain development. Yeah. That's just what two-year-olds do. They, they can't communicate. And I think thinking a little more critically about child development has been really helpful to me to know, okay, this is normal and it's okay my child's not broken. They are screaming and throwing all their Cheerios on the floor because their brain is, is telling them to. They're upset. They have no other way to communicate instead of being like, oh, my goodness, something's wrong with my child. I need to teach them to not be so bad. Yeah. And I think changing a lot of the language about children has been helpful to me. Yeah. That's so, yeah, I, I completely concur and agree with that. It's It's been a privilege to work on the mag because uh, we read so much about this stuff, right? And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's good. Beautiful magazine, by the way. It's uh, sitting right next to me. Just gorgeous. I love the colours, the layout. It's just a beautiful magazine. Ah, uh, thank you. Um, well, if you ever get a moment to read it, I hope you enjoy it. I think I think you would, I think you would like it. We try and... Uh, yeah yeah cover a bunch of stuff um what about just sort of moving back to the parenting thing and how do you balance being a parent with also wanting to do all the things you want to do like kind of like the dm i had this morning you know what do you think what are your thoughts around it to me there's only one answer (laughs) (laughs) is getting help i don't think there's really a way to balance work and motherhood without help yeah whatever that looks like and that's a that is also a very privileged thing to say mm-hmm. because having help requires money and so for me it has been just a math problem to figure out over the years what do i have to do to be able to write or to work and mm-hmm. and how much money do i need to make to pick to pay for childcare and so to me the answer has always been childcare whenever i hear someone um kind of spiral about you know, not having time for art and motherhood or, or whatever their passion is in motherhood. I only see one answer. I think there really is only one answer, which is childcare. That pretty much solves it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> getting, 
getting space and time. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the most interesting conversations I'm having right now are with my friends who are divorcing in their 40s. And I just thought this was an interesting thing to discuss and, and one we often discuss as friends is that they're heading back out there but feeling like they're in their early 20s. Even though they've they've come full circle and they're 40 plus, they kind of revert back to being I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't really know how to have sex with this person. Like these really, these self-doubts. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was so interesting that, you know, is that just a result of being completely repressed when we were younger? Is that just an age thing? Like I can't, I, I just find that, you know, even friends were, you know, a, a guy was texting a friend on um, an app and he didn't respond the way she kind of thought yeah. he should. But then the conversation we had about that one line that he wrote was so ridiculous. I just felt we were teenagers and I was like, oh, my God, have we not moved past this? Why are we falling into these old habits? Yeah, that just, to me, that sounds like a very human response. (laughs) I think (laughs) that because you're just, you're being so vulnerable again. Yeah. And I think that it, it would just be so easy to, in fact, I was texting with a new mom friend today and I felt myself using too many emojis and I don't even, I don't even use them that much, but I was like, I sent her like four in one paragraph and then I spent the next hour being like, why did I do that? Like, what is like really overthinking it? And I, I'm, I don't ever feel that like when I'm texting with people, I'm not like thinking about what they're thinking, you know? Beyond yeah. what's reasonable. I'm not, but, but this is this new person and she doesn't know me. And I found myself yeah. doing that. And I think that's just a normal, it's our ego and, and just our vulnerability, humanness coming through. That's, yeah, that's really true. And the, is it just that need to be liked and to be, yeah, liked? yeah. which is interesting when, you know, you do so much work whether you want to or not being a parent often and as in a long-term relationship and then, you you know, you meet a new person and you send too many emojis. I just find that whole human condition so funny. Like we're just – It is funny. Are we learning? Are we not, you know? Um, yeah, I think we're learning but we're still so imperfect. Yes. Yeah. And we always will be. <laughs> That's true. Tell me about um, working on the second book. It's just so awesome. When did you decide that you would take people's messages and you would make poetry out of them? When did that come to you? It really just happened on a whim. I was, George Floyd had just been murdered, which was a huge news story here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yes, it was massive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So that had just happened and I was talking about police reform on on social media and I had a bunch of people push back on that, which is totally expected. But I was kind of going through those messages and deleting them or I wasn't responding, not because I don't think conversations about that are important, but I don't think that messaging back and forth on Instagram is going to lead to a productive conversation. I think those kind of things need to happen in person. So I wasn't writing back to to those. I was just kind of going through them. And one came from a woman pretty upset with me and I was reading the message about to delete it. And the words just kind of stuck out to me in a new way. And so I mm-hmm. took a screenshot of it, hid her identity and, and made a poem out of it using the whiteout tool 
And people really responded to that, which I think just proves, you know, how many people are at odds with other people on the internet and, and honestly also with people they actually know. And it just started to become something that I did. It I really, it felt like a party trick. I wasn't like looking to write a whole book of them. <laughs> when my publisher asked for a whole book, I said no. And they asked me again and I said no. I had just finished What Kind of Woman. I didn't, I'd never done erasures before. And, and the premise of the book seemed a little bit strange and also very depressing. Obviously, we did come around to it, and I am happy with how it turned out. We we included positive messages, and we also included, you know, other things like trans court transcripts and articles and, and other things to make poems out of, which was definitely necessary. Um, but yeah, I I don't I like to say I'm no longer taking submissions for <laughs> those pieces. I don't plan to write another book of erasure poetry at this particular moment. But it was it was a fun side project. I, I had agreed to a second book, which was another full length collection of poetry that, that comes out this this coming fall. But this one kind of snuck in there in between. And do you see messages now and can't help but try and create? <laughs> well, every once in a while, but mostly I'm like, oh I don't I don't know, thank you. I don't <laughs> I don't want to do to keep doing that right Not. now, but um yeah, every once in a while I am tempted because if they have enough good nouns and um, adjectives in there, it's, it is very tempting. Are you a are you a Wordle fan? Are you up every day doing Wordle? Like- oh, you have Wordle. Okay. Yes, I, yeah. I do. That's what I do before I get, get out of bed now. Yes. My girlfriends and I send each other our score. Before, so, and you can see when everyone's waking up. You know, I'm usually the yeah. last one. I think I'm it's not really early riser. It's really cool, isn't it? And yeah, our whole family text, our extended family text is just Wordle scores every morning. I mean, um, there was much disappointment when they sold it. They sold it right to the New York Times, did they? Or? Oh, yes. He, well, it's yes. And I can see both sides because it's just one dude, yeah. you know, trying yeah. to keep up. But uh, yes, they unfortunately, he unfortunately sold it to someone who is probably going to eventually not have it be free. But for now, Let's, yeah. Let us have this little joy, you know? It's a tiny joy, isn't it? I know. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, um, tell me a little bit about um, the novel that you you were writing a novel or you finished a novel over four years. Is that right? Yes, yes. How was yeah. that process? And it's not published and, you know, you've, you've said some really interesting things around that, like, you know, it doesn't mean it um, lessens that experience. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I worked on a it's like a literary thriller for four years. I don't, I doubt I'll ever look at it again. Thinking about looking at it again makes me feel sick. So I don't, <laughs> I'm, I buried that. I don't need to look at that anymore. Um, but it was, it was a such an incredible learning experience just to, you know, start start something like that and finish it. Um, it was, it was a great experience and, and taught me a lot. It does not feel like a waste of time to me. I think. People who aren't writers look at that and think, what a waste of time and energy. But to me, I, I, I don't know, I, I learned so much. I, I learned a lot about editing. I learned a lot about the difference it makes to work at something, like what it's like to work at something every day and, and to take it seriously. And, and um, yeah, I just, it was, it was, it's not something, like I said, that I am planning to publish, but it was, it was good. It was a good experience. Uh, 
did you say that other publishers had read it or you just sort of wrote it for yourself and kept it to yourself? So I was working with an agent, not a publisher. So she was reading it and giving me feedback, which was what the experience, that's, that, that's yes. what made the experience so great. So no, no, it's never been seen by a publisher and, and never will be. But um, her and I, we workshopped it quite a bit. Ah, that's that's a, I really love that. I think that's such a brilliant way to do it, you know, and no one ever talks about the ones that don't get published. Oh my goodness. I just um a, not a she's now my friend, but a woman I just moderated an event for. Her her book just came out and has done so well. She's 43 and and we were talking on stage last week and she was just picked by a huge uh, the Today show. It was her book that was their book pick, and she's um, a famous actress, uh, Jessica Chastain. She bought it to make into a miniseries. You know, she's having some a huge success here. And I said to her, please tell, like, because there's all these questions, like, oh, my gosh, can you believe it? Like, whatever. There were, like, a lot of students there, too. Like, how can I How can I do this? And, yeah. and she was like, I've, I've been trying to write books. 20 years like what you don't see are all the failures and that's what's so important about writing is to understand that it it often takes so many I wouldn't even call it failures but so many attempts and and trying out new things and and maybe writing a whole book and, and it not going anywhere you know you just don't see that that's that's not what people publish on their timelines no no one publish. it's like anything it's like you know, I think about skating and trying to skate so hard for four years and you're only ever going to post the tricks you make, you know, you're never going to yeah. post all the times you fell that helped you right. make the trick, you know. Um, yeah. Just lastly, I've got, a, I put out a call to readers to kind of, um, you know, ask you a question. And one question in particular I thought was so beautiful. And she said, I love Kate's stuff so much. And I just want to know how does she keep her faith in humanity? Oh, I love that. I know. It's so hard sometimes. There are days when it feels so hopeless. Mm -hmm. But in the same way that when I feel hopeless on the internet, in that reality, when when I switch to what's right in front of me, that's where I see the hope. I see the hope in my kids. I see the hope in my female friendships. You know, my my friends are, are just as important to me as a marriage. I could never stay married without my, my, the women in my life because they're filling in so many gaps there. And when I, when I see how we, how we are always showing up for each other, that those little, those little moments, just in, just the other day, a friend of mine, we were, we're all so busy. It's so hard to see each other. We're usually just talking on apps, you know, Marco Polo or Voxer, whatever. We're, we're talking all the, all the time, but we're not seeing each other in person. And she said, I'm having a really hard time. Is there any way you can meet me in 15 minutes? And to watch each of us drop everything, calling the babysitter, dropping my kids off at my sister, I'll be there. We were all there in 15 minutes. And, and to see those those moments are when you realize how how much we do for each other when we don't have to. Mm. And and those little moments to me give me a lot of hope. Oh, that is so it makes me a bit teary. Um just even that's exactly what happens in my friendship circle. And one of my friends leaves like she might leave like 
six audio messages, you know, just text <laughs> audio messages. And I get so excited because I feel like the <laughs> podcast series has just dropped. And I feel oh, yeah. like that 10 minutes, but she does them. She's brilliant. She only does them in two minute little things because she knows that a kid might run in or you might have to go do something. You can't listen to a 10 minute thing. You know, you need them broken right. down. So it's just like, oh, it's just the best. It's, uh, oh, those yeah. are my favorite podcasts. Yeah, the friend podcast. They're, <laughs> they're the best influencers. They could influence me to do anything. Totally. And just the laughter. Like I, I love yeah. what you said then. Without your friends, you wouldn't be married because it is they are such an integral part of yeah. life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Thanks so much, Kate, for being on the podcast. It was such a such a joy to connect. Yes, so thank you so much for having me. It's an honor, and I'm so happy to skip bedtime. It's 8 p.m. my time, and I, I'm just so happy to be here for many reasons, including that one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. If you liked this conversation, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really liked it, be a legend and leave us a good review. Lunch Lady is a magazine where parenting is not taken too seriously, but a balanced approach to family life is. It's a beautifully printed kitchen keepsake full of recipes, inspiring family stories, DIY craft and funny, relatable opinion pieces about the ups and downs of raising kids. For more info on Lunch Lady magazine, head to shop.hellolunchlady.com.au.